If you're a regular listener, you know that in the United States, Indigenous people disappear at a catastrophically alarming rate. They're far more likely to go missing than white Americans. Usually, the numbers are connected to a lack of financial resources and public support. But no population is a monolith. There are about 9.7 million Indigenous people living in the United States, and their experiences vary widely. Like you and I, the young man at the heart of today's episode is an individual. His disappearance may be a part of a larger trend we should all be aware of. But the circumstances are unique. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I examine a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I'd like you to meet a 20-year-old man who grew up on California's Barona Indian Reservation. He was known for always offering a helping hand or a couch to crash on. Now, his mother worries his generosity might have led to his disappearance. His name is Elijah Diaz, but everybody calls him Bear. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. The Barona Indian Reservation has been home to the Barona Band of Mission Indians since 1932. Nestled in the foothills of the San Diego Mountains, it's located in a beautiful slice of nature. For much of its history, life on the reservation wasn't easy. People went without electricity, and poverty and unemployment ran rampant but I'm starting today's story at a moment when all of that began to change. It's 1994. The Barona Resort and Casino recently opened its doors to the public for the first time, and it's proven to be a wild success. In the past few years, unemployment rates have dropped from 70% to zero. Whether they work at the casino or not, every member of the Barona Reservation shares its profits. Adults receive a monthly check in the mail. 
For minors, the money is deposited into a trust they'll be able to access at 18. That's the case for Elijah Bear Diaz. In the fall of 1995, Bear is a newborn. Though his mother Leilani grew up on the reservation, they don't live there now. Leilani moved to Riverside, California. Bear and his siblings grow up in California their first few years. But when Leilani splits from her husband in 2000, she returns to the Barona Reservation and takes the kids with her. It feels like the perfect place to take her children for a fresh start. It's a small, close-knit community. Everybody knows everybody. Plus, Leilani's family is there, and she wants her parents to play an active role in their grandkids' lives. She ends up finding a house a mile and a half from them. For the first few years or so, everything seems to go well. But after Bear turns six, the Diaz family receives a scare. One day, Bear walks up to his mom and says he isn't feeling well and starts vomiting. Sensing it's not a run-of-the-mill flu, Leilani takes him to the emergency room. After running tests, doctors deliver some shocking news. Bear's blood sugar levels are incredibly high. For a kid his age, the normal range is between 80 and 120 milligrams. Bear's registered at 863. It's a miracle he's not in a coma. Bear's diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, a chronic condition where a person's body can't regulate its blood sugar levels. It's a daunting diagnosis for anyone, let alone a kid. For the rest of his life, Bear will need to inject insulin three times a day. It's a tedious cycle. Morning, noon, and night, it's inject insulin, eat, play, and repeat. Plus, it hurts. Bear is getting poked by a needle more than a thousand times a year. He spends the first two years in and out of the hospital. It's emotionally challenging. At some point, he asks his mom when he'll be done taking insulin. Leilani can tell he's having a hard time. It breaks her heart to have to tell him there's no end in sight. Leilani supports Bear as best she can. And eventually, she finds someone to support her in turn. She meets a man named Donald Thompson. She falls in love with him and his five kids. They get married when Bear's eight. Bear goes from being the middle child of three to one of eight. But having a packed house is fun for him. Donald treats Leilani's kids like his own. And Bear becomes friends with one of his new stepbrothers, Jacob. Jacob's a few years older than Bear, but they have a lot in common. Bear looks up to Jacob, and Jacob serves as a role model and teacher. Among other things, he and Bear like to play guitar together. As Bear enters his teens, he seems healthier and happier than ever. But he's living on borrowed time. The year he turns 17, he gets sick again. He spends a total of five months in the hospital. The illness takes a toll on his body. By the time Bear's 18, He's five feet, 10 inches tall, but weighs just 110 pounds. He uses a wheelchair or crutches to get around because he's too weak to walk. It's hard. Bear doesn't like how frail he looks and he doesn't want his friends seeing him in such a vulnerable state. So he makes the difficult decision to drop out of school and get his GED, during which time Bear and Leilani grow incredibly close. But even that is bittersweet. Leilani loves her son, but he's 18. 
I'm sure she probably wants him to be able to hang out with his friends or go on a date, not to spend every waking hour with his mom. She knows her son's depressed. He spends the latter half of his teenage years sitting on the sidelines, watching his friends experience milestones without him. But she doesn't exactly know how to help. Over the next year, Bear's health improves, and at some point, he shares a plan with his mom. He wants to get his own place. Now that Bear's an adult, he has access to that trust, the one set aside for him by the Barona Resort and Casino. I don't know how much money is in it, but a sergeant at the El Cajon Police Department says that a typical check from the reserve ranges between six dollars and $10,000 a month, and Bear's been receiving them since he was a child. Bear uses some of the money to buy a house in El Cajon, a small city about a 20-minute drive from the reservation. It's perfect. He can pay in cash, he has friends who live in town, and it'll give him the independence he's been craving without being too far from home. Leilani is completely on board and helps him move. Now, Bear's never lived alone, so he wants to find roommates to fill out the three-bedroom house. After moving, he makes some friends with college-age kids who either work at the local hookah lounge or hang out there regularly. It's hard to tell from my research, but regardless, two of them move in. According to one friend, there's never a dull moment at Bear's house. Every night after the hookah lounge closes, everyone heads over and parties till dawn. They play video games, watch movies, score rides in Bear's brand new cars, and anyone who wants to can crash on his couch. Bear's comfortable spending money and likes to be generous. His house is filled with big screen TVs for people to watch. He picks up tabs everywhere he goes and he buys his friends small gifts all the time. It's no secret that Bear has dispensable wealth, but most people don't know that he often keeps thousands of dollars in cash locked in a safe in his room. He keeps that hidden. I'm Darnell Ishmael, guest host of Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty, the special four-part miniseries from Solved Murders. I am honored to take you on a journey deep into the Old West to meet one of the greatest true crime heroes you may have never known existed, Bass Reeves. No Master But Duty reveals the true story of a formerly enslaved man who went on to become one of the most legendary U.S. Deputy Marshals in the American West, bringing justice to over 3,000 criminals. Follow Solved Murders and catch all four episodes of Bass Reeves' No Master But Duty. Listen for free, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In 2014, tragedy strikes. Bear's friend and stepbrother Jacob dies by suicide, which leaves Bear devastated. The grief no doubt adds to his occasional bouts of depression. 
Over the next 18 months or so, he basically has an open door policy at his house. He parties a lot, but nobody in his life seems too concerned about substance use or destructive behavior. He's young, almost 20. For the most part, it seems like he's just having a good time. But his fun soon gets interrupted. He develops sores on his feet that won't heal and make it hard to walk. In addition to diabetes, he suffers from neuropathy, a type of nerve damage that can require both feet to be amputated. And on top of everything, he has cataracts, a clouding of the eye that can lead to blindness. Before long, he becomes dependent on his mother again. With nothing going his way, Bear is more depressed than ever. On an average day, Leilani and Bear spend five to eight hours a day together. She drives him everywhere he needs to go, including two or three doctor's appointments a week, and he returns to using his crutches. Leilani is worried about her son's physical and emotional health, but also worried he lacks purpose. Even when he's feeling more healthy, all he wants to do is party with friends. Now, Leilani wants her son to think about his future. So on August 29th, 2015, she proposes that he enroll in college. It would give him something to work toward, a way of solidifying his future. The conversation happens at Bear's home in El Cajon. But Bear's not really into the idea. And when Leilani pushes harder, Bear gets upset. Whether he's against the idea of college or just too tired to have the conversation, he and his mom get in a fight. Bear keeps telling Leilani over and over that she just doesn't understand what he's going through. Leilani thinks he's probably right. So she backs off and gives him the night to cool off. She leaves his place around 10.30 p.m. and texts Bear when she gets home. She tells him to take some Advil and relax. Bear texts back, Okay, mommy, I love you. The next morning, August 30th, Leilani texts Bear again, asking what he wants for lunch. But Bear doesn't respond. She sends another, asking if he's still mad. And again, radio silence. Concerned, Leilani drives to her son's house and arrives around 3.30 or 4 p.m. One of Bear's cars is in the driveway, so she assumes he's home. But when she knocks on the door, no one answers. She thinks her son's probably just sleeping, so she lets herself in and goes to Bear's room, but it's locked. She bangs on the door, but can't hear anyone inside. Now she's worried. Maybe Bear's hurt. Maybe an accident or a medical emergency. A small part of Leilani even wonders if he might have hurt himself on purpose. She bursts into Bear's bedroom, scared of what she'll find, but he's not in bed. He's not home at all. Even more unsettling, it seems like his room has been partially cleared out. His TV is missing. His bed has been stripped. The pillows and blanket are on the ground. The sheets are missing. His backpack and crutches are gone. And the safe in Bear's room, which Leilani thinks probably had about $7,000 in it, is open and empty. Leilani knows her son's habits. He wouldn't just clear out his safe and leave it open for anyone to see. Now, I think it's easy to guess what Leilani's thinking. In an interview for the podcast, Live from the Res, she explains that pretty much everyone in the area knows indigenous people from the Barona Reservation get monthly checks. 
The young members of the community have large trust funds. Based on anecdotes, this wouldn't be the first time money has made a Barona tribe member the target of an attack. As Leilani processes the scene in Bear's room, she hears somebody in the kitchen. It's one of Bear's roommates. He says he got home around 2 a.m. the night before and Bear's door was closed. He assumed Bear was asleep or watching TV and apparently didn't see or hear anything that raised alarms, which puts Leilani's mind at ease a little. She doesn't go straight to the police. Instead, she spends the night texting Bear. He's got a few doctor's appointments the next day and he shouldn't and wouldn't miss them. But she never hears back. On the morning of August 31st, it's been more than 24 hours since Leilani saw or heard from her son. She travels to Bear's chiropractor appointment, hoping to see him there, but he doesn't show. The same thing happens at a different appointment later that afternoon. Before the day's over, Leilani and her daughter go to the local sheriff's department to file a missing person report, but the woman at the front desk doesn't seem to be in a rush. She writes down their statement by hand and assures Leilani that she'll file the report later. End of conversation. Like we've heard so many times before on this show, later a sheriff's deputy explains that Bear is an adult. It's not illegal for him to leave for a few days. 94% of adults who are reported missing come back of their own accord. So he says the likelihood that Bear met with foul play is slim. But to Leilani, Bear's health problems and the state of his bedroom are cause for concern. Even if he wasn't the victim of a crime, he could still be in danger. He only has two, maybe three weeks of medical supplies in his backpack, which means he can't get very far and needs help. Over the next few days, Leilani reaches out to everyone she can think of. No one has heard from him, but there's one event she's sure Bear would never miss the Barona tribe's annual powwow. Tribes from all over the country come together to celebrate their heritage. There's dancing, singing, community events, and booze selling all sorts of things. Bear loves it, and it's this coming weekend. So she decides to rent a booth and hand out missing person flyers. She wants everyone in attendance on high alert. The weekend comes and goes, but nobody sees him. Bear's been missing for at least a week. And for the first time, Leilani considers a grim prospect that someone robbed, abducted, and murdered her son. The question is, who would do something like that? Leilani can't think of anyone. She does an interview with a local news outlet, laying out the details of Bear's disappearance and providing a physical description. She asks anyone with information to reach out. Soon after, Leilani gets a call from a woman named Olivia Tosic, who says that on the day after Bear went missing, her son Skylar also disappeared. But that's not all. The two men have a lot more in common. Skylar and Bear live just 20 minutes from one another. They're the same age, around the same height and weight, and they even look alike. Their stories are similar too. Like Bear, Skylar had lots of friends in school, he played music and formed a band. Skylar's health didn't interrupt his social life, but his family moving to a new place did. He was forced to switch schools and lost contact with many of the friends he grew up with. Like Bear, Skylar withdrew. He seemed down. By 20, Skylar was lonely and stayed in a lot. 
So with that in mind, I want to walk you through what happened the day after Bear disappeared, but at the Tossick's house. On the afternoon of August 30th, Olivia Tossick comes home to find her son, Skylar, her boyfriend, and her mother having a late lunch. According to Skylar, he spent the past two nights hiking in the San Pasqual Valley with two of his buddies, Thaddeus and Eli. Olivia's never heard of either name before, but she doesn't pry. She's just glad to hear Skylar's getting out of the house. Now, at this point, Skylar says he has more to tell his mom, but Olivia asks him to hang on a second. She runs into her bedroom to grab something. When she comes back a few minutes later, Skylar's gone. He apparently jumped in an Uber and left. Olivia learns that Skylar took a roll of toilet paper and a flashlight with him, as well as his toothbrush, toothpaste, cell phone, and charger. But for some reason, he left behind his wallet, ID, and bank card. Olivia texts her son to check where he went. She hears back a few hours later, but the response does not put her mind at ease. He says he's with Thaddeus and Eli and two unnamed girls. He says they're rich, well-connected, and want to pay for Skylar to go traveling. Skylar doesn't have a passport, but he says the girls do have passports, so he can go with them. His last text reads, quote, spiritual fun, no drugs, they want to go to. And that's it. The text ends, go to. Obviously, that's a lot of red flags. Passports are only issued by the United States government and usually take six to 10 weeks to arrive. There's no way two wealthy women just have passports for everyone to use. But Olivia's not sure the women are real. The entire story feels like a lie. She sends her son over 100 more text messages, but he never responds. At first, she's worried he's been abducted by a religious cult, which isn't entirely implausible in Southern California. But personally, Skylar's disappearance makes me think of what Leilani said. Everyone in the area knows about the monthly checks from the casino. Skylar isn't a member of the Barona Indian Reservation, but a stranger wouldn't necessarily know that. He lives in the area. But at the end of the day, there's no evidence Skylar was targeted because of his race or for any reason. Like Bear, there's no proof he was abducted at all. Initially, Olivia calls the police, but she basically gets the same answer Leilani did. Skylar's over 18. And according to his text messages, he chose to leave. There's not much authorities can do. But as the days go by and Olivia pushes to file a missing persons report, the police do start looking into her son's case. And here's what they learn. On the afternoon of August 30th, Skylar's Uber dropped him off about 15 minutes east of his mother's house at a stop sign near a local boarding school. Olivia has no idea why he'd go to a boarding school or frankly, if that was his ultimate destination. It could have just been a meetup spot. Stranger still, none of Skylar's friends have ever heard of a Thaddeus or Eli before. They certainly don't know who the two girls are. But eventually, Olivia sees Leilani on the news talking about Bear's disappearance, and she wonders, could Elijah Bear Diaz be Skylar's friend Eli? Now, even with all the similarities, the logic is a bit of a stretch. Skylar seemed like he was going hiking or on a trip, and Bear was probably not in any condition to join. But still, Olivia and Leilani exchange information, 
maybe they can help each other find their sons, and they agree to keep in touch. Which brings us back to where we were in Leilani and Bear's timeline, not long after the Barona tribe's annual powwow. Leilani is still having no luck in her own investigation, and authorities aren't taking her concerns seriously. So she returns to the sheriff's department and reminds them Bear is a disabled person who relies on life-saving medication, medication that is quickly running out. At this point, the idea that Bear left on purpose is getting ridiculous. Luckily, this time around, officials act. Detective Mark Barber is assigned to work the case, and he seems to think that Bear's disappearance shares enough in common with Skylar's that it's worth looking into. Detective Barber treats Bear's home like a crime scene. He uses a black light to search his bedroom. There's no sign of physical harm, but there is cause for concern. The detective points out something Leilani has been mulling over for the past week. Bear uses crutches, yet his TV is gone. There's no way he could have carried it out of the apartment by himself. Finally, someone agrees with Leilani. Bear didn't leave on his own. The problem is, there's no physical evidence at the house. There are fingerprints, but with so many people coming in and out of the house all the time, it doesn't help narrow the list of suspects. Barber interviews friends, family, and Bear's roommates. They all essentially say the same thing. This isn't the first time Bear's packed up and disappeared for a week or two. Sometimes when he gets depressed, he checks out and stays with a friend. But Leilani counters. Bear always checks in with her. That's the difference between this time and all the others. Detective Barber collects Bear's phone and bank account information to see if they offer any clue. There's no activity in Bear's financial records, but his cell phone pings tell an interesting story. At 1.29 a.m. on August 30th, just hours after Bear and Leilani had their argument, Bear's phone pinged off a tower near the Barona Reservation Casino. 29 minutes later, it pinged about 25 miles northeast, near Santa Isabel, a small town that acts as a gateway to the San Diego mountains. It's the last place Bear's phone sends a signal. Santa Isabel is about 40 miles northeast of where he lives in El Cajon, and a half-hour drive from the intersection where Skylar Tosic went missing. Detective Mark Barber believes Bear was with his phone during all of this movement. That would make sense, but there's no way to prove it. Plus, the pings aren't exactly helpful for pinpointing precise locations. His phone could have been anywhere in a six-mile radius of the last tower, but the general location worries Detective Barber. The San Diego mountains are rugged and isolated, Barber knows there are plenty of places out there to hide a body, and to make matters worse, the mountains are home to cougars and coyotes. If Bear's body was left out there, predators could have disrupted or scattered the remains. Detective Barber organizes a search mission. The San Diego County PD flies two helicopters over the area. On the ground, a 10-man search team waits to investigate any points of interest identified by the helicopters. But after surveying the area for hours, the pilots can't find any sign of human activity. The search is a bust. But for Leilani and her family, the fight isn't over. Bear's biological father, who lives about 100 miles north of El Cajon, conducts his own search and investigates some reported sightings in his area. Meanwhile, Leilani goes door to door in El Cajon, 
asking if anybody has information on her son's whereabouts. She and a team of volunteers canvass the city with flyers. On each one is Bear's photo, his physical description, and a list of items that went missing from his house. The bed sheets, the TV, his backpack. Maybe someone has seen them somewhere. They also post a reward for more information. It starts at $1,000, but over time, it grows to 50,000. And still, no viable leads surface. Same with Skylar's case. Eventually, police tell Olivia and Leilani that in their professional opinion, the similarities between Bear and Skylar's cases are coincidental. Their last known locations are too far away from each other, and the circumstances of their disappearances are markedly different. They believe Bear was taken from his home, while Skylar left on his own. The news makes sense to both Leilani and Olivia, but they stay in touch. At this point, they're bonded. In the fall of 2015, Leilani receives conservatorship of Bear's estate. She wants to force his two roommates to move out. They've been living in Bear's house rent-free for months. According to her, they've done basically nothing to help find her son. Once the roommates leave, Leilani turns the El Cajon house into Find Bear headquarters, a place where Bear's loved ones can gather and brainstorm new ideas on how to get the word out. By January, Leilani learns that the Barona Casino has bought a month's worth of ad space on a billboard in town. According to one of Bear's friends, it's huge and right in the center of traffic. You can't miss it. Leilani is overwhelmed by the gesture. Even though the billboard is only supposed to be up till the end of January, the ad sales company leaves it there for six months and its presence helps raise awareness. Between it and Leilani's tireless efforts, the whole area knows Bear's face. But in May 2016, more tragedy strikes. Bear's biological father dies of a heart attack. I can't imagine what it was like to be in Leilani's shoes at this point. How all-encompassing this grief must have been. In the past two years, her stepson died by suicide, her son went missing, and now her ex-husband, who was also invested in Bear's case, is gone too. On August 19th, 2016, Leilani and the rest of Bear's family and friends gather at La Jolla Beach to celebrate Bear's 21st birthday. La Jolla holds a lot of meaning for those who know Bear. It's where he surfed, where he and Leilani took moonlight walks together. Even though she'll never stop searching for her son, she feels it's a fitting way to say goodbye. Because for the most part, Bear's family believes he's no longer alive. His grandfather has since said, quote, I'm hopeful we can find his remains. It's not an easy thought to come to terms with, but they're looking for the truth, whatever that might be. As of recording this episode though, there's not much we know. Officials believe Bear left his house with someone. Maybe willingly, maybe not. Either way, someone out there likely knows something. But Leilani tries not to dwell on the unknown. She doesn't want to spend her life living in the past, consumed by questions. She hopes to find Bear, if only to find a sense of closure. The peace to move forward. As for Olivia Tosic, she too is still searching for her son. In August of 2021, she held a charity rock concert in his memory to raise funds to continue the search. The moms still keep in touch, 
not because misery loves company, but because hope is contagious. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to finish this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. This is an open case. If you have information that could help locate Bear, please visit San Diego Crime Stoppers at sdcrimestoppers.org or call 888-580-8477. You can also email the Bring Bear Home team at tip at bringbearhome.com. That's T-I-P at bringbearhome.com. If you or someone you know needs assistance with a missing persons case, please visit seasonofjustice.org. Season of Justice is a nonprofit organization that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. For full disclosure, I am a member of the board. It's a great resource for both law enforcement and families in order to bring closure to those impacted by unsolved violent crime. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Disappearances is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Spencer Howard. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Disappearances was written by Aaron Lan, edited by Karis Allen and Connor Sampson, fact-checking by Katherine Barner, research by Mickey Taylor, produced by Aaron Larson, with sound design by Alex Button. I'm your host, Sarah Turney. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice. I'm Darnell Ishmael. This February on Solved Murders, join me for a four-part miniseries on the incredible life and career of Bass Reeves, one of the preeminent U.S. Deputy Marshals in the American West. In Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty, discover how a man born into slavery took freedom by force and brought over 3,000 criminals to justice, including his own son. Follow Solved Murders and catch all four episodes of Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty. Listen for free, only on Spotify.